Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. I would like to draw your attention to Psalm 130, and we shall be looking at it in light of some of the teachings of the Word Faith Movement. You may already know that Psalm 130 is part of the group of psalms that are commonly known as the Songs of Ascent. These were songs that were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they climbed towards Jerusalem on three times of the year when they were commanded to go to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. On these journeys, these children of Israel would have been rehearsing their theology or their understanding of who God is they would have been reflecting on the world in which they live. They would have been recounting God's faithfulness and looking back and seeing how God had delivered them from their enemies, from the economic, social, political, geographical challenges that faced them in their day. One of the things that would capture their attention as they drew closer to the temple was the recognition of God's holiness. The reverence in God's presence, it would not only remind them that God was a holy God, but it would even more so remind them of how sinful they were, and therefore how desperately they needed to repent, so that they would approach God's house, God's temple, in purity of heart and mind, and be able to worship God properly. Now with that brief background, I should also remind you about the Word Faith Movement and what really it is about. You may also already know that this is one of the fastest growing movements, especially within charismatic Pentecostalism, a movement that majorly centers on the believer's identity, the believer's authority, and the believer's wealth and health. Now, those words are not wrong in and of themselves, but you may realize that how they are defined is not according to the biblical definition. When word faith teachers think about the believer's authority, they are majorly thinking about where man has received the power and authority to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. They believe that with faith and the confession of the words of your mouth, you can make things happen however you want, whenever you want. In terms of the believer's identity, some of them believe that as a Christian, that now as a saint and as somebody who is holy, you are immune from sin, immune from suffering. In fact, you are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ. So what can really go wrong? Today we have a movement that has come to be known as hypergrace that I would categorize under that very topic of the believer's identity, who think that they are beyond and above sin and therefore teach that once saved, there is no need for repentance or confession of sin because believers no longer sin. And number three has to do with the believers' wealth and health. That this word faith movement believes that as a believer, you are healthy and wealthy. You are supposed to be rich and never fall sick on the basis of the atonement of Christ Jesus. So with those three key things that characterize the word faith movement, the believer's identity, the believer's authority, the believer's health and wealth. 
Let's look at Psalm 130 and hear how the psalmist would have spoken in a context like ours where the word faith movement is thriving today. Listen to Psalm 130. It says that out of the depth I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With that brief definition or background of the word faith movement I have given, you come to Psalm 130, a psalm of ascent, and immediately you begin to see the contradictions in the understanding of the believer's identity, the believer's authority, and the believer's state of wealth and health. We open up with the psalmist crying out for God's mercy. He is aware that he has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In fact, he identifies himself as the one who cries out of the depth, like a man underwater who is drowning. He describes his situation as one of hopelessness and helplessness, and cries out to the Lord for mercy. Now, if you listen to that cry from the psalmist, you already realize that word-faced teachers would disagree with the psalmist, because they would be approaching this as people who have authority over every situation, people who do not even sin, and therefore they would not see need for pleading to God for his mercy. They would not be owning up their sin. They would not be describing that they are coming out of the depth, since that would become negative confession. Remember what faith believers believe that you are supposed to confess positively, and not say anything negative about you, because the power of the, the tongue has power to actualize whatever you verbalize out. The psalmist is here crying out, expressing his weakness, and placing his hope in God's mercy. But what faith movement and its teachings today would instead be asking you not to confess negatively and therefore would not concur with this kind of opening of Psalm 103. In this Psalm, we see a man cry out for mercy, a man who recognizes that God is sovereign, a man who recognizes that God has every right to judge sin and iniquity because he is a holy God but also a man who recognizes that while God in his sovereignty and justice has every reason to punish and judge sin, he chooses to extend mercy that he may be feared. And that's the wonder of the gospel, brothers and sisters, that a God who should judge you, a God who should eternally condemn you, instead extends mercy and forgiveness to you, that sinners under the mercy of God now become saints. What faith preachers, how would they understand this verse? Remember, as believers, they do not even think they are supposed to seek God's forgiveness. Remember, 
that they believe that what really brings their prayer request to fruition or what really gives them the things they need from God is their ability to verbalize their requests in faith. That faith plus positive confession is what really activates the things they need in life. Yet we come to the psalmist and we do not see the psalmist relying on his faith. We do not see the psalmist relying on his confession. Instead he relies on a God who is sovereign, on a God who is just, yet on a God who is compassionate and forgiving and therefore will extend mercy to him. While word faith teaching is man-centered and his ability to manipulate faith and confession to get what he wants, the psalmist reminds us that true biblical worship is God-centered. It is centered in the sovereignty, in the justice, and in the mercy of God. And that when God does extend his mercy and forgiveness for sinners, it is so that he may be feared or so that he may be worshipped. That biblical Christianity is about man recognizing what God in his power and in his grace has done for sinners and therefore bows his knee in worship. It is not about the believer using his authority or the power of his confession or his words to give himself the bliss in life that he so desperately longs for. Biblical Christianity is not about man and what he can do. It is about God and what he has done. And in that area of the believer's identity and authority, the word faith movement fails flat. But moving on to verses 4 and verses 5, we see the psalmist express another aspect here. In the first three verses, he asked God forgiveness so that he may worship him. Now in the next verse 4 and 5, he says that he is waiting upon God. This God who is able to forgive him. This God who is able to cleanse him. This God who is able to accept him in spite of his sin. He now says, I wait on this God. Look at verses 5 and 6 and hear what he says. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The psalmist here is saying that because he acknowledges that his help comes from the Lord and him alone, not the confession of his word certainly, not the expression of his faith certainly, but in God who is rich in mercy, he says, I will wait for the Lord. And the psalmist is not just waiting for the Lord, but he is waiting and hoping in God's word. And what he basically means is that while you wait for the Lord to forgive you, to restore you, you wait for the Lord in his word, where he has promised those very wonderful things. Today we have a very concerning thing that is happening, especially in the word faith movement, that you have believers who have Bibles that they are not reading, but they claim to be waiting upon God to answer their prayers. A closed Bible, and a cry that God is not answering. And so what has happened today is that many Christians are now turning to pastors and apostles and prophets who claim to have the ability to communicate God's will and word to these people, especially concerning the future. 
Today's generation is one that is hungry for prophecy and the extra biblical revelation. They are not willing to open God's word, but they want to hear what the so-called prophet of God is saying. And as you can imagine, the end result of those self-styled prophecies is false teaching, a teaching that is divorced from the word and will of God, a teaching that is against or unaware of the promises of God as laid down for us in the scriptures. The psalmist is not waiting for a voice from a prophet. The psalmist is not waiting for a vision or a revelation. On the contrary, we see him waiting in God's word where he can find God's will, where he can understand God's promises. And that is the place that believers are called upon to wait from, in the word of God. Not in visions, not in prophecies, not in revelations, but in the word of God that has already been given to us. And then verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says, I will witness for the Lord. Remember, in the first three verses, the psalmist says he has been forgiven so that he may worship God. In the verse 6 and 7, he says he is waiting upon God in his word. And now in verses 7 and 8, the psalmist is witnessing to all of Israel. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see, the psalmist does not just worship and wait upon God, but he witnesses for him. He recounts the wonders of God's grace to Israel and reminds them of the kind of God that he has come to know and why they need to place his, their trust in him. Now notice in his witnessing the things he says and the things that he does not say. Why does he invite Israel to come before the Lord and hope in him? Because with God there is steadfast love, a stubborn and a changing love, there is plentiful redemption, and God will redeem them from all their iniquities. If you look at the witness that the psalmist offers, it is one that I should say is not only God-centered, but is also focused on the salvation of sinners. One of the things that capture your attention today, when you put on your radio or your television said, what you hear from word faith teachers is how to get rich, how to have good marriages, how to be successful in your business, secrets on how to tap into the supernatural, and so on and so forth. If the word faith movement person had written this psalm, perhaps he would have been inviting Israel saying, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is an abundance of riches, with the Lord you will never be sick. With the Lord you will have authority to command the seas and the mountains to obey you. Now, if you take a moment to hear what I just said, and you see what the psalmist says in verses 7 and 8, you can see that there is a very huge gap between word faith thinking and theology and the biblical teaching as we find it in Psalm 130. That clearly, based on the pleas of the psalmist, based on the worship and the waiting and the witness of the psalmist, we can tell that word faith movement has fallen short of biblical teaching, that word faith movement is not God-centered, is not salvation-centered, is not Jesus-centered, but is a teaching that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture, and therefore one that should be watched out for with great vigilance and carefulness. The psalmist calls us back, 
away from a man-centered theology, away from a material-centered theology, away from a pride-centered theology, to one of a man who cries in despair, a man who humbles before himself before the Lord, a man who waits upon the Lord no matter what it will take, a man who recognizes that good things only come from the Lord, a man who wants to worship and live for God, a man who points us to God and what he can do in redeeming a people for himself. May the Lord bless you as you think through this teaching and especially as you compare it with the teachings that you are hearing from World Faith Movement teachers. May the Lord give you the discernment you need to test everything, to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every appearance of evil. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.